Welcome to Beyond the Flight Deck podcast with United Airlines pilot and investment advisor, Alan Buley, who will take you behind the scenes with airline pilot entrepreneurs, academics, and other professionals. And now, your host, Alan Buley. Welcome to episode two of Beyond the Flight Deck. My guest today, Chris Zarnick, owner of Positive Rate Mortgage. Chris began in real estate at a young age working for his father. He kept his hand in the business after graduating from the U.S. Air Force Academy. In 1998, Chris left the Air Force to work for United Airlines. A year later, he got into mortgage lending, which at the time was truly the Wild West. In telling his story, Chris walks us through the education and licensing requirements to become a mortgage loan originator. He offers great insights into the opportunities in the mortgage industry. He even provides a path to owning your own mortgage company one day. Along the way, you'll see how the industry changed from a world of unscrupulous fly-by-night companies to a regulated industry with standards of conduct. After getting furloughed from United in 2003, Chris accepted a job with FedEx in 2005, where he remains today. Welcome beyond the flight deck. All right, so we're here today with Chris Zarnick from uh, Positive Rate Mortgage. Um, Chris, welcome to Beyond the Flight Deck. Hey, thank you for having me. It's it's, it's a pleasure to speak to you and all of your audience and and try to help them out and understand what it is that we do. Yeah, great. so uh, you guys are going to know, recognize his uniform as not being a United uniform, but Chris was a United pilot for, for several years before they kicked him out the door and, and he went on to FedEx. Let's talk a little bit about mortgage lending today. But at first, I'm going to go back a little bit and uh, just talk about you. Um, tell us where you grew up. What was it like growing up in the Zarnik household? What did your folks do for a living? Uh, did it have anything to do with airplanes or mortgage lending? Certainly. So I grew up in a small town in in Southern Connecticut in Fairfield County, which is considered to be like a bedroom community of New York City, meaning that we have direct train service from my town to to, uh, Grand Central. And that town is called New Canaan, Connecticut. And a very small town, 18,000 people, um, very wealthy people there. I never knew that I grew up in a wealthy town because nobody really flaunted it or did anything about it i mean one of the jack welsh from ge lived in my town his daughter Anne was one of my good friends didn't realize that her dad was jack um but anyway so to give you an idea of 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 where i grew up and, and what it was like there my dad was actually in the real estate business and did the real estate business for 35 years started his own uh he was a music teacher very quickly learned that can't make enough money teaching lessons, music lessons, and therefore got into the real estate business in the late 60s. And then uh, the rest is history from there. He, he, he did phenomenally well during all the growth and boom uh, parts of real estate. And that's where I got my first introduction to real estate. I actually used to work in his uh, real estate office on Saturdays when I was about 12 years old. The real estate brokers would go out, get the customers, find the house they want to buy, and then they would come back and say, Chris, type out an application for this individual. And then my father was also involved with a bank where I would take not only the application, but I would collect the pay stubs and W-2s and bank statements, very similar to what I'm doing now. My older brother 
would drive us down to the to the bank and drop off the paperwork. I got my three dollars and seventy five cents an hour to do it, and always swore that I was going to be that guy someday because he didn't really didn't do anything, and it's, he he had a really nice office, and he just seemed to make a lot of money. And uh, it, it's kind of funny how this is all come to fruition now. Yeah, sure, sure. Interesting. So kind of a family office there. Um, yes. Was he involved in Connecticut real estate, New York real estate, everything? Connecticut, uh, mostly Fairfield County, and did a, did a few deals uh, outside the county. Um, but there was so much developing real estate there that there wasn't really much need for him to do that unless he wanted to get it. He, he got involved in some projects um, you know, back in the uh, mid 80s, where a lot of real estate projects failed due to some tax regulations, he got involved with investors to buy those types of things and create real estate investment trusts and things like yeah. that. But in general, most 90% of his business was in Fairfield County. And residential, mostly residential real estate? Mostly residential, some commercial. So at some point, you did a lot of work in high school, you lobbied some folks and you got into the Air Force Academy. I did. Um, how was how was the Air Force Academy? Uh, how did that suit you? Uh, you know, great place to be from. I, I actually think about it every now and again. And there for there was a while was where I was like, I'll ne I would never go back there and do that again. You know, that was like 20 years ago. But now I'm kind of glad I'm from there. It was a cool, it's a cool place, great traditions, great honor. Uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad that I did it. And I, I obviously now my positions change. I do it all over again. Yeah. yeah, it was, you know, it was tough. It was difficult. Um, I, I wanted to be on, on the academic side. I wasn't into the engineering, even though I was at a primarily engineering and science oriented school, I wanted yeah. to be in business. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be in operations research. Um, there were some math courses there, I think, Applied differential equations is the, the one that eventually knocked me out of the program because I didn't want to stick around and spend my summer retaking the course. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I tra transitioned into a management, just general management, because I had all the prerequisites for that. And uh, so I en ended up graduating there with a BS in management, um, which you know was a good foundation for me to go on to get my master's degree later on uh, while in pilot training and 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 as an instructor later on. Was there anything in particular, anything or any courses in particular at the Air Force Academy that are helping you today or helped you along the way in your years of working in mortgage lending? Uh, you know, a lot of the math courses just in general and the, the, the way that you conceptually look at a problem from a math perspective definitely is, is helping me now. A lot of people want to know, hey, if, if I have a 30-year a fixed mortgage and I transition to a 15-year fixed mortgage, um, how much, you know, is that a smart thing for me to do now at, at this interest rate? Should I, um, should I take a higher rate and get all my closing costs paid for? And then when you start to ask questions, about the person's objective to try to find out what their financial objectives are. You can modify the, the math and modify the, the options that are available in order to help them achieve their objectives. So you're not just answering a question, you're helping them to understand, help, helping them to achieve the objective that they wanna get without them even 
you know, understanding that that's their objective. Yeah. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but is there, are there a lot of tools at your uh, disposal online calculators and stuff that, that help you do this? Is a lot of it manual math or a lot of those tools available for you? I use the HP um, 10B calculator. Yeah. It has uh, N is the number of payments. Right. Interest, obviously the interest rate, present value is the loan amount. And then you kept, you hit the payment key. Right. I use this probably 20 times a day because okay. I'm constantly, you know, talking to people on the phone and going over scenarios and giving them different options on 15, 20, 30 year fixed. Right. And, and trying to do that. So yeah, that's a, that's a good tool to have. Yeah. HP got it right a long time ago with that calculator. Sure did. <laughs> Upon graduation from the Air Force Academy, tell me what's next. I went to pilot training at Reese Air Force Base, stuck around to be a T-38 IP, was there for three years, went on to San Antonio to be a pit IP um, in 38s again, left there in 94 and went to fly KC-10s at Barksdale and McGuire, uh, left in 98 to join United, furloughed in 03, uh, joined the Air Force Reserves in 04, uh, flying KC-135s, and then retired um, in 2010 from the KC-135s. Okay. And you were hired at FedEx when? I was hired in December of 05 for FedEx. Okay. So and you had a, you had a um, three-year, a two-year window there between your furlough from United and getting picked up at FedEx. I did. Okay. It, it almost didn't matter to me because at the time I had my mortgage business going. Did you do any work? You know, like you said, you were, when you were 12 years old, you're doing some of this just grunt work with your dad, if you will. Uh, and then when you left for the academy and went down the military road, were you involved at all then uh, with him or your brother or anybody in, in the mortgage or real estate business? Until yes, I, I, you got I into it a little bit later. I, I no, I, I, I stayed active in the real estate business and industry while I was in the military. Okay. I mostly got involved on the commercial side more than the residential side because my dad had investors that were looking for commercial properties. Mm -hmm. And I did, there were lots of hotels, strip malls, and, you know, different commercial properties where, where I was not, not when I was in Lubbock, but when I was in San Antonio, there were a lot of great opportunities there. And and they were actually all over the place. I, I was doing um, analysis and transactions in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And I was actually, jump, you know, your tax dollars hard at work, jumping in the T-38, flying over to Atlanta, landing at Dobbins, and then going to see a property down in downtown Atlanta, and then flying, jumping back. People thought I was a real bigwig because, I'm, you know, here I am. They know they've got my San Antonio number. And then three hours later, I'm in Atlanta. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was, uh, I was involved in those types of transactions, but mostly gathering information and doing analysis of physical analysis of condition of a building. What, what's the age of the air conditioning system? What's right. the age? Of, when, when does it look like they've replaced carpeting um, and, and doing a lot of that sort of legwork? Whereas now you could just do it with video, right? Yeah. But, but back then you couldn't, and you take pictures and you put a report together, send it back to the investors, and then 
you're getting them interested in, in investing yeah. in the property. Hired at 98 and then sometime within the next year, you get licensed and start working as a mortgage lender, correct? I did. I There was no licensing required back in 2000 okay. or 1998. Uh, nine, nine, I actually started in 1999. Okay. Um, I literally was sitting at home one day watching TV at around 10 a.m. in my pajamas when my wife walked in and said, you need to get a job. I'm like, I have a job. I'm a pilot. At, I'm a flight engineer at United. And she's like, well, you, I don't ever see you work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, all right, I'm going to get the want ads out and I'm going to figure something out. And so I got the want ads, literally got the newspaper out, the Raleigh News and Observer, went into the want ads, saw this ad for um, you know, no, no experience required, uh, become a mortgage broker, uh, good income, great benefits. I made one phone call. The guy asked me if, and, and I, and I had obviously known about the mortgage business mm -hmm. and was looking for an opportunity to get into it. And this was as good as any called him up, uh, came, went down for an interview. He asked me if I had ever done this before. And I was like, I have very limited skills, but it was, you know, 20 years ago. He's like, you're hired. There's your desk. Answer the phone. Family first mortgage. May I help you and figure it out? That was my training program. And literally people were calling on the, on the, the phone was ringing because they had mailers that they would send out and people yeah. would call and try to get information. And I'm bugging everybody in the office. Hey, what are the rates? What, um, what, what, how do I make money in this business? Like I didn't know anything. Yeah. And two months later, I figured it out. Um, well, were I they, had, were they of any help? I mean, did they offer you any training whatsoever? Or they just say, shut up, dude, and start, just answer the phone. No, nope, no training whatsoever. I kind of had to figure it out on my own. And those were back in the days where we had rate sheets coming across the fax machine. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how the office would just kind of panic. And when, the, when they heard the fax machine going, because they knew there was a, a rate change, yeah, uh, an unbelievably inefficient and expensive way to, to operate. But regardless, I, I was able to pick up a lot of information from the, the workers that were there. I was able to put deals together. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned was I, I knew that I did a really horrible job. And you know what I did with my commissions? I took my commission check, I cashed it, and then I sent it to the customer. And I said, hey, I, you did not know this and I should have disclosed it, but I had no idea what I was doing. And you must have had, you must have think that I, you know, that I'm an idiot and, yeah. and I pretty much was, but I wanna give you my commission because I wanna, it's my way to apologize and just give you something to, thanks for hanging in there with me. and." Thanks for being polite. And I know you were mad. And, but I learned a, a pretty big lesson there in doing that. And almost every single one of those customers referred me to someone else yeah. to do the job. They're like, hey, the guy doesn't really get it, but he's doing a good job. Yeah. Well, I mean, another way to look at that for yourself, I would think is that that's my training course I just took and it wasn't free. You know, basically you did it for your time. And so that, that's great. I, I, uh, I don't know how many people would do that, but looking back at it probably makes sense, you know? So let's translate that to someone today that wants to get into this. So they're a United pilot sitting on reserve, getting COVID bucks, uh, not doing anything that are interested in this. 
what um, and, and they've already gone to college, whether they studied needlepoint or math or whatever. Um, what what are um, maybe online educational opportunities, if you know of any, but what are licensure requirements today for someone to go to work as a, a mortgage loan originator? Can they do it on their own? Do they need to be connected to a firm? How does that work for someone starting out? Well, if you're if I was starting from scratch, the first thing you want to do is you want to get your license. You don't have to be employed by anyone to go get a mortgage broker license. Okay. The website that you need to go to is www.nmls.org. Stands for National Mortgage Licensing System. It is the it's the licensing system for the entire country. And on there, you'll see it. The first thing you'll see is um, all the states. You click on the state. And then it will bring up a list of licenses that you can get from the National Mortgage Licensing System. There's lender licenses, there's broker licenses, there's money, hard money lending licenses, there's all kinds of different licenses. You only want to focus on being a mortgage broker. You do not want to be a lender. When you click on that hyperlink, you will see all of the requirements that are there to, uh, to get your license. One of them, the first thing is going to be continue or education. You have to go out and get 20 hours of pre-licensing education. And then the state's going to have state-specific education, probably like maybe two or three hours of state-specific laws. One, those to, to get the education to do those courses, there's lots of mortgage education. You just, you know, Google mortgage education. I use mortgage, mortgage educators out of Utah. They're very good. It's all video based. The guy's very funny and interesting, uh, David Luna. And you can you'll, you you go through those courses. Um, it, it's not very difficult. You should be able to answer all the questions after the first time. And now you you have passed the the education portion of getting your license. Now there's going to be some other things. There's going to be a background check. Mm -hmm. There's going to be fingerprints. There's going to be um, a credit report. Um, there is there. I mean, those are the major ones that you're going to have to fill out there. Oh, they're probably going to want a resume. And once you put all of that in, once you upload all of that to the to the NMLS system. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they have people there that will help you. So if you get stuck, you just call the, on the phone and they got a help desk. Okay. You submit all that and now you get approved by the state for your license. And now you can go, you can now go to a mortgage office, a brokerage, you know, contact somebody there and apply for a position uh, because you have the requisite licensing requirements. Other than that, you don't um, have any any experience requirements. Okay. Um, other uh, other than to show up with that license, and you okay. should be able to get it in a couple of weeks. Does that twenty hours of education is it? I mean, worthwhile? Does it educate you somewhat well on the industry and and what you're going to need to know and do? It educates you on the laws. It does not educate you on the process. Okay. Okay. So now let's go back to your first bit uh, with that uh, mortgage broker, that lender um, kind of sound like it started off a little rocky. 
how did things develop for you? How did you start getting trans? It sounds like you got some trend, some tread with some new clients from your original clients. Um, but where do you think, was it still just the next year or two? Was it just push, push through the learning curve? Or did you ever find any good resources to really help? Or it was just, you know, how, how did that play out? How did you become more knowledgeable? Well, um, I'm going to try not to make it too long, but the, 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 the short story is after working at this company for two months, the, I went to work one day and I, uh, the, Fed, the, the FBI was there. The reason, and the FBI asked me a ton of questions and the, the branch manager or, or the owner of the operation was under federal investigation. And what he was doing was he was taking all of the loan officer commission checks and cashing them in his secretary's bank account and then taking his part out and then paying the loan officers. What he's supposed to do with that money is send it to the corporate division. Corporate takes their part out and then distributes the checks to the to the loan officers. So he was cutting out corporate, and so the, uh, the when the bank saw that this woman was who was making thirty five thousand dollars a year as a secretary, all of a sudden has hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in her in her account. It, it threw up a red flag, and the, the bank reported her. But I, I ended up leaving there on obviously you know I just left. Yeah. The 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 comp, the corporate division assigned me to another office. I went to that office, closed out my pipeline, and then I went to search for another company to work for because everybody at, at the company, you know, we were all commiserating, like, what are you going to do next? And, yeah. and uh, they gave me some resources to be able to find other mortgage brokerages. Okay. I eventually signed up with one called Carteret Mortgage. I was with Carteret for five years. Um, Carteret um, went bankrupt. Uh, so as you can see, there's a little bit of a trend in my industry here. Uh, the reason why they went bankrupt is the, and at that point I, I had been in the industry for three years, uh, or yeah, I had been in the industry for, for, I, I, I worked at another mortgage company before Carteret okay. and then left to go to Carteret. And then when yeah. I was at Carteret for five years. And there I kept, I was the branch manager at Carteret. They hired me as a branch manager. Okay. And as a branch manager, I, I really had only a couple of loan officers. I might've had three guys. Um, they were kind of coming and going because at the, the business was booming. Then everybody's offering a better deal. And I had such a pipeline because now my dad was giving me loans from Connecticut and New Canaan, you can't buy a house for under a million bucks. Yeah. So if you're doing eight, $900,000 deals, earning a percent, you're doing pretty well. You don't yeah. need all these other guys in the office. Yeah. So eventually, but I would, what I would do is I would put my money into a reserve account. I wouldn't want to get paid because now I'm making money at United and now I'm making money in the mortgage business and to keep my tax taxable income down. I just left it in the, in the company reserve reserve account. Well, but it wasn't really my reserve account. It was the corporation's reserve account. Uh -huh. And when they declared bankruptcy, they're like, get in line. And what essentially what they did, it was unbelievable to me. They had, um, you know, Christmas parties and, and video or yacht events and all these events. I'm like, when do you guys go to work? Well, yeah. it, was pretty much, it was pretty much a Ponzi scheme that they were running using my money that I had in my reserve account to keep operations going. 
And then when interest rates went up and the revenue wasn't coming in and they, and they depleted all the reserve accounts, they were like, you can sue us because you can get in line with all the other creditors. And I, it really was a, it was, it was a big shock to me. Um, Man, I, I, there are people sitting here right now watching this going, why on earth would I want to get into this industry? Well, <laughs> things have improved dramatically since then. I'm going to give you one other quick story. Yeah. Um, and, and all of these experiences have helped me to help my customers, Yeah. which I'll illustrate as well. But the, the next company that I went to work for, you know, I worked there for a year and a half. Everything was perfect. And then all of a sudden, my commission checks didn't come. And I, I was flying a little bit more with United at the time. I went into the office. The guy who runs the business wasn't there. And I'm asking people, like, where is he? You know, I haven't heard from him. Have you guys seen him around? And all of a sudden, when, when people start to go silent and they don't answer their phone and they don't respond to their texts, um, you start to, to question what's going on. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I had about $80,000 in loan commissions due to me that month. And I didn't get them. Yeah. Um, I then, you know, after multiple phone calls and dodging, and you, you get, you know, after a while when somebody's sure. not being transparent with yeah. you, I eventually went to his house. I tracked it down where he lived and I went to his house and I knocked on the front door and I saw that he was building a fifth wing to his house. And I'm like, geez, I wanted, I'm pretty sure I know where my $80,000 is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, said, Hey, I, I need to get paid and I'm giving you advance. I'm giving you notice and I'm quitting. And he's like, Oh, it's corporate. He started to lie to me. But long story short, I ended up having to sue him individually in order to get my commission. And I eventually was successful. He did lots of crazy things. Like he declared bankruptcy transferred all the assets into his wife's account so that so that she, she had everything and I wasn't able to go after her. Um, he moved to, he eventually lost his house. He uh, moved to Florida. I got a private investigator to chase him down to Florida so that I could get paid. I mean, he owed me a lot of money. And my attorney was like, you're chasing, you're chasing good money after bad. This guy's yeah. never going to pay you. Yeah. Long story short, I, I did get paid. I got paid, I think, $40,000. I got paid $60,000. $20,000 went to my attorneys to pay all those fees and the yeah. private investigator. I netted forty. dollars But what I, the thing was is I did not want him to ever do this to anyone. Right. Right. And if I chased him that hard, he really would have to think about doing it again. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I went to work for a couple of companies after that. These companies that you work for, they're going to promise everything. Oh, we have the best rates. We have the best processing. We have the slow, easiest turn time or shortest turn times. They promise, 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 because if they get you on board, you are a potential revenue producing source right. to them. And as long as your that revenue that you produce is greater than the expense that they have to incur, it's a win-win for them. Sure. And then um, that's when licensing came in and things started to normalize and um, when was that? When did licensing start coming in? 2005 timeframe. Okay. You get furloughed towards the end of 05? Yes. Or end of 04. End of 04. No, I got furloughed in 03. I'm sorry. Okay. What, um, yeah, that's right. You furloughed in 03 and picked up by FedEx in 05. 
Which one of these disasters were you at in 03 when you got furloughed? Did you have a pretty decent income stream? Were you in between firms? Where were you about that time when you get furloughed? I, I was with Carteret at that time and doing smashingly well. Okay. I, I was, I had lots of, I had some good United customers that I took care of and I had, you know, referrals from my father and I've got now my, my name is slowly starting to get out amongst my military buddies who now are learning that I'm in the business and that I have access to good rates. And, you know, the business started to, to boom on its own, no advertising, yeah. all word of mouth, all reputational based. Yeah. Of course, rates were, this was, this was the first time in our lifetime that rates, the tenure was very, very low, you know, down in the 2% range um that 0305 time yep. um so i can imagine there was a lot of yeah i was in the bond business the bond market at a, at a bank at that time so good you had a good income stream so the furlough from united while it sucked you probably knew it was coming uh you had oh, yeah. something going on and i think you said you were also in the reserves or in the guard at that point yep i joined the reserves and so i had income from the reserves i had income from fedex and my mortgage business okay uh, but the, the two-year window, it was about two years between furlough and FedEx, correct? Yes. Okay. How was, uh, how was, you know, all you had to focus on once you were furloughed was just your mortgage business, just working on, on mortgages and, and, you know, working on your customers. Uh, and then you get hired at FedEx and you've got to go through Indox at FedEx. You got to go through training on an airplane there. How was that period of time trying to maintain your mortgage profile your your book of business uh with your obligations at fedex how did that do you remember that how tough that was i i do i wouldn't recommend it to anyone um if you're going to do this try not to do it while you're going through training you really need to do focus on that the the fortunate part of going through training at fedex is they put me on the 727 engineer panel and i was a line check airman at united on the panel so I knew the panel pretty well. Okay. Um, and, but I can't imagine if I was trying to train in the right seat because I, th they were sending our classmates to the triple seven or not the triple seven, but uh, MD 11 Airbus, you know, if I had to, if I had to be a pilot instead of an engineer on one of those seats, I would have just had to just stop business. Yeah. You, you really, you would be, be doing an injustice to your customers if you sure. did that. And, and it's just too much stress. Okay, so uh, you're you're now working at FedEx. Um, at that time, what firm? Which one of these firms were you with? Had you already had to chase the guy down for the eighty grand, or had that not I, happened? I chased him down. I joined another company. I think it was called Gold Star Mortgage. Um, some Russian guy's got a good story about that out there about how he had two pennies when he came to America, and he's running this big mortgage business and. He understands what it's like to be in the trenches. And of course I bought that whole story Yeah, and uh, went to work there um, for several years. I then went on to uh, Franklin First Financial. Okay. Another company that went bankrupt, by the way, they were uh, not, not me. I mean, I, I had my own. So now, so now I'm at these other companies. I'm not coming on as a loan officer. I'm signed up as a branch manager. Okay. Because when you're a branch, you can hire employees. Okay. If you're just a loan officer, you can only originate loans. Right. So I made sure every time that I got on with the new companies, 
I wanted to come on as a branch manager. Even if I had nobody in the branch, it's my branch. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, I went to go work for several other companies. One of them went bankrupt because they were screwing around with FHA loans where they were overcharging. I don't know how they thought they could get away with it, but they were overcharging on fees. Mm-hmm. And even if you overcharge by $100 or $200, what are you really making, right? Yeah. Versus the chance, I mean, is it, this business is not that hard. It requires hard work. Yeah. But I, I see a lot of people in the business trying to take shortcuts to make money. And, and they're so, it's so petty that if you just focus on the customer and focus on getting the deal done, all the money works out. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest things I've learned in this business. Yeah. When, when you said that a little while ago, you said they made a transition in 2005 where the, the loan off the, the originators, you had to start being licensed and did, did they require those of you who are in the industry to go back and get licenses uh, or were you somehow grandfathered in since you had been in it for a while? No, I had to go get the licenses. They created the system. They created the continuing, they had the education and you had to take the education and you had to, you know, the, the national mortgage licensing system was up and running and you had to apply. And so, and what I did is I focused on just getting my individual loan officer licenses. And my, my business model was, Hey, my friends are at United and Delta and FedEx and wherever they're all in multiple States. So the one thing I knew that I had to have was multi-state life uh, origination capability because mm-hmm. some mortgage brokerages are only licensed in the state that they're domiciled. Yeah. And I didn't want, I needed multi-state licensing. So that's why I went to some of these other firms because they offered that. Yeah. And then they had the company license. I had the individual license and they sponsored me as an individual loan officer. And that's how the legality comes in. So over the years, as you've, you know, just, I don't know when I heard about you and, and, uh, you've done a mortgage for my brother and a lot of clients of mine. And, and it was actually clients of mine that brought you to my attention several years ago. All right. So n- today you own your own firm, right? You don't yes. work for any national company. You are your own firm. Um, when did that transition take place? I think when I met you, you were with Franklin and yes. then you started. Yeah. So what, what was the, what was your structure at Franklin? Were you, licensed as a, a loan originator and branch manager i was a license yeah i was a loan originator had all my licenses i had licenses in i think 20 states and then i was i was the branch manager okay and i th- that company i started to you know i was getting calls from customers and my rates were not competitive mm-hmm. and i kept writing to and i saved all the emails I kept writing to management saying, I cannot sell your rate. A hundred percent of nothing is nothing. Right. So if you, you either need to lower your VIG on your side, because I've already lowered mine. And in a lot of cases, I was making like a half a percent or three eighths of a percent on a deal on a hundred thousand dollar loan. That's 375 bucks yeah. or $500. And then after you take your taxes out and everything else, it yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I, was, I, I was very close to quitting the business. Very, very close to saying, you know what? I give up because I've now tried five different companies 
I have shysters on, on the left side of me. I got guys who are enriching themselves on the right side of me. And I was just, a, I was just frustrated and I wanted to give up. And then I, my opportunity for what I'm doing now came along. Yeah. So how did that happen? So how did that opportunity, when you say opportunity came along, how does that happen? Uh, so there was a company called Motto Mortgage. Motto mm -hmm. Mortgage uh, came around in 2017, 2018 timeframe. And Motto Mortgage is, is a mortgage company in a box. It was, it's designed for real estate brokers. It's designed to go to the real estate broker and say, hey, you're giving up all the commissions you could be getting on the loan officer on the mortgage side. You also don't, you also have more control if you do it. Mm -hmm. But now we need to, now I'm, they're going to teach you, Model Mortgage is going to teach you how to do this. Okay. Okay. And I got a call from a real estate broker in Goldsboro, North Carolina, where I had my, where I flew KC10 or KC135s. And this mortgage or this real estate broker said, hey, you were highly recommended. A lot of military guys here. I noticed you do a lot of business down here and I want to hire you to be my mortgage, my motto mortgage guy. Like what the heck is motto mortgage? Yeah. So he sends me out. I read a little bit about it. I still don't understand it. I go out to Denver. He sends me out to Denver, Colorado. I go through the training program and on day one of the training program, I learn how to get a company license. Uh, okay. They, they, I had never looked at how to get a company license before, right? Because all the companies that I worked for handled renewing my individual license, mm -hmm. and they held the company licenses. Yep. I didn't know how to get one. Uh, nobody ever talked to me about how to get one, and nobody educated me how to get one until I went to the model mortgage seminar. And the light bulb went off and I figured out really quickly, oh my gosh, I qualify for all of those to be, to get the company license. I, I already have the qualifications. So I'd be crazy. So I went back, to, I left the training program early. It's a four day program. I left on day two. I flew back to North Carolina. I met with the guy and I said, guess what? You and I can do this without motto yeah. mortgage. Yeah. And because motto mortgage I'm not trying to disparage them and it's great for, they're, sure. they're very good at what they do, but their franchise fees, if you don't turn one mortgage, they, they cannot get paid a commission for quote a referral because that's yeah. against the law, but they can charge franchise fees and their franchise fees are somewhere near 80 to $90,000 a year. You mm -hmm. got to close a lot of mortgages just to pay that fee. Yeah. So I told this guy, we can do this without him, without them. His response to me was, no, I'm a Remax guy. Modern Mortgage has been very good to me. I, I'm going to stick with them. I'm like, you're crazy because in order to, you're going to hire somebody like me to run it. Yeah. You're going to get two points to do a deal. One for you and one for the other guy. I'm, I'm going to charge, I'm going to get one point from the lender. I will always beat you. Yeah. <laughs> do yeah. you not understand that? Yeah. So you will, as long as if you and I are ever competing, you're always going to lose. Right. So, and that's, and that right there will started positive rate mortgage. Okay. Positive um, rate because of, you know, yeah. you work every day, gear up. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how people get into business. I mean, 
with, with you, it was sitting in day one of a four day seminar. Yeah. Um, with me, it was, it was, I made a phone call to the state securities uh, commission of Alabama, where I'm from, where I was living. And I was working at a bank and I wanted to, I just, I needed to start my own firm, but I didn't know how. And it was an examiner at the office there that really kind of got me, pointed me in the right direction to get me going. So it, it's neat to hear how people do it um, or what kind of pushes that move. Um, let's talk about those two sides of the business and, and um, about the individual license versus the company license. Um, you told us about getting that individual license. I mean, once you get that license and you find none of the firms you used to work for, <laughs> you find a, a reputable firm, you need to attach yourself to a firm. One, if when you have an, a, just an individual license. Um, yes. So yeah, so that's a good transition because we should really back up because where you want to be is where I am. You want to right. be able to get your own company license. You'll have your individual loan officer license. And, and where I'm at, I'm in the sweet spot. And that's where you want to be. You're, this, is the, I'm, this is the United Airlines pilot job yeah. When you're, when you're a flight instructor in Cessna 172s, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's where I'm at. And that's where the Cessna 172 job is where you're going to start. So let's back down to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, he does the, the, uh, the NMLS stuff. He gets his yep. license. He finds a firm to work for he or she, they find a firm to work for and you start selling mortgages. Hopefully they have a sort of training program like you did not have. Hopefully somebody you yep. can find that will, to get you moving. Um, what's the next step? If somebody's got where you sit today, owning positive rate, what's their next step beyond just starting to sell mortgages? So what I would do, if I had to do this all over again, I would go in and not be a loan officer. I would have the loan officer, I'd show up with the loan officer license and let them know that you fully expect to be a loan officer. But I would go, I would tell them that I want to be a processor. I want to make less money and I want to process. Why do I want to do that? Because I'm going to learn how all of this works. I'm going to learn the timeline from start to finish. And I'm going to be intimately familiar with all the software and how interacting not only with the loan origination software, but also the software from the lenders that I have to interact with. So I know exactly how to manipulate everything so that in the future, when I want to go out on my own, I don't need any help from anyone. I can do this on my own because I did it. If you go in and you start as a loan officer, you're definitely going to make more money, but you're not going to know that back end so that when it comes out time to go out and do it on your own, you're going to need, you're going to have to hire processors. You're going to have to hire pe people to support you. And there goes your profit margin. If, if a pilot though wants to get into this, and they're flying 14 days a month when COVID's over. Um, are firms, will firms allow that? I mean, if, if, if a, you know, I guess it just depends on the company. It does. I think if you said to them, I, first of all, you're going to have to take some time off, probably a good three weeks to a month. Okay. Um, it doesn't have to be consistent. You could probably take a week off and learn from a processor where you're actually not working on a file. You're just overseeing what they're doing, having conversations with them, help get them a cup of coffee, help them out, do be helpful. Um, but you're learning while you're there. You're not getting paid, yeah. but you're w watching over the shoulder and learning. 
And you do that for a couple of weeks and then you say, hey, let, maybe, maybe I'm at a point where I'm comfortable where I think I can do that. Um, you've learned the loan origination software. You know what documents to collect because you've seen that processor would have worked on, they typically work on 50 to 60 loans a month. So in two weeks, you would have seen 20 loans. After seeing 20 loans, you should understand the process. Yeah. Uh, pay stubs, W-2s, bank statements, get homeowners insurance, title insurance. You'll, you'll start to understand the flow of how it all works. Are, and then are, once you're comfortable, go, go say, hey, I want to give me five files. Okay. Give me two files. Give me one file. Uh, give me a chance. And you're going to get paid 500 bucks a file to, to, or maybe 400 bucks a file to process that file. Is it, um, I haven't done a mortgage in quite a while because um, I got a great loan nine years ago. Um, are you still collecting pieces of paper, stacks that high? Or are you getting stuff electronically now to where when you say the file, does this, does this pilot have to go by an office and pick up a stack of papers or is this being collected online? Nope, everything's digital. Okay. So when you ask for pay stub, somebody's going to send it to you in a PDF format. Right. And if they don't have it in a PDF format, like let's say, I don't know, they get, they get a mail to themselves and they're not savvy enough to get on the ADP website and get you a PDF file, then they can scan it. Yeah. And then if they can't scan it, just tell them to take a picture. Right. And when you get it, you can turn it into a PDF file. Yeah. Right. And so every, so you would literally, have, I literally have multiple file folders on my home screen. And I just, when documents come in from the emails, I, I take the document, I put it in there, and now I know that it's archived and safe and yeah. everything else. This is, can be, depending on the firm you work for, can be a virtual thing. You could sit on a layover somewhere with, if you have a VPN or something and could securely, you can work on a file from anywhere. If you work for a company that's comfortable with you doing that, I guess that would be the key for most pilots. Absolutely. And you they should be, after you've done your your over the shoulder and after you've demonstrated that you maybe can do a couple in the office yeah you that you can then say hey look i want to get back to flying and do this while i'm flying there's no question you do not need to be in an office if you know what you're doing yeah it's all you know email uh working with uh, uh files pdf files and also just the software yeah loan origination software and the lender software okay that's all portal driven. Yeah. I mean, this is a great time. I mean, if, if you know, it, it's a terrible time because of COVID, because what's going on in the world. However, it's creating opportunity for people to that are sitting around on reserve doing nothing like you are right this moment, other than talking yeah. to me. Um, you know, opportunity for people to go into that office and do a couple of weeks of training, looking over the shoulder, yes. do a couple of files and then moving on. So the, the, I think the attractive thing to, some of these mortgage companies may be that, you know, we don't need a set salary. We don't need benefits, you know, pay me per file to do this for you. And, and okay. All right. So your recommendation, we start with your individual license. You approach a firm more so as a processor to begin, let them know you want to sell mortgages at some point, but you want to learn the business by starting out being a processor. So let's right. say you do that for, I don't know, how long would you want to do that before you really start your next phase i i mean you could process for six months okay i think you you know after you do 50 60 loans you pretty much got it so okay. now what you're going to do is you're going to to transition from processing to 
And now you understand the business well, well enough because now you're, you're going to have be assigned to a processor. Mm-hmm. And that pro- now you know how to interact with that processor. You know what to expect. You know how to communicate with them. You understand all the language and you, you, have, you set the expectations properly so that you have a good working relationship because the last person you want to make mad is your processor. Okay. He will put you on the bottom of the stack. Yeah, yeah. And you won't close any deals anytime soon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So once you do that for a good six months, I think you're going to have the experience to now focus on the phone calls and advising people. You know, it's not just about quoting a rate. Quoting a rate is, is one thing, um, but you can also, you know, talk to them and, and, and loop in people like yourself yeah. and say, if somebody says, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in doing a cash out refinance, should I do a home equity line of credit or should I do uh, a 30-year fixed or a 15-year fixed? Yeah, I can give you that quote, but let's talk about your finances. Let's talk yeah. about your cash flow. Right. Is it smart to do that? So, you know, um, I, I've got people coming to me with quotes where they're getting, they're paying two discount points to get the lower rate. Yeah. And it takes forever to recoup, yeah. <laughs> you know, like 15 years. You're right. Do you think most people that are getting into this industry right now, if, if they take your advice, become a processor and now start picking up the phone and, and helping people understand what mortgage they need and why, and then we'll go find the rates, uh, which I love that way of thinking We're we work on just a fee basis from our clients. We don't have any commission. So naturally it's what we do is give advice. Um, it's not always you find someone in a transactional business that approaches it more of an advisory uh, role than as a sales role. And, and we appreciate that. That's one of the reasons why we've, you know, sent a lot of our clients your way. Um, Cause you help us too. I mean, there's always something in the mortgage industry that that's new for us, whether it's a new rule or just some aspect of it. So, um, so that, that's going to be the hardest part, I would think, for someone who's done nothing but fly airplanes from either the military or, you know, uh, corporate or regionals and Auntie United. Now they want to do something like this. So what's a resource for them, for education for them to help them understand why someone may want a 15 or 30 to cash out versus a HELOC? What's a good, oper- what's a good place for them to study something like this? I, I don't, I, I can't point to a particular periodical or book or anything to read. I, I, have kind of learned a lot of it on the fly, just Mm -hmm. being in the business. Uh, but I've always been sort of math oriented and trying to figure out problems. Yeah. And I, I think if you just treat it from a basic, okay. Um, when a customer calls and they want to know what your rates are, they obviously, their objective is one of, one of their objective is to get the lowest possible rate. Who wouldn't want it? Right, right. Um, and they want to be able to compare against other quotes that they're going to get. That's where a little bit of the advisory role and sales role combine, mm-hmm. and you need to start to ask questions. Right. Um, are you sure you want a 30-year fixed? Would a 20-year fixed maybe meet your objectives? Do you even know what your objectives are? Let's talk about them a little bit. How long are you going to be in this house for? Um, do you, do you have money saved for your kids' college educations if you plan on paying for them? Are you saving enough to do that? Because if, you're ask, if you want to do a 15-year fixed mortgage and you're not putting money towards the college education or right. 
saving money for a car or, and they're going to have to finance that, you know, so once you start asking these questions and finding out what their situation is, then you can better advise them on what's the best mortgage product to use to meet the objective. So that's what you have to do is you have to start asking the questions and then you sort of have to take it, take a look at it from 30,000 feet, bring it down to 10,000 and say, okay, looks like the 30 years is the best for you. Let me get your rate quote. Yeah. And, and most of the time we try and have that question answered for you before we send someone your way. So, yeah. uh, so that may be actually something for someone coming into this to think about. They may be asking those questions and may tell the, the potential customer, hey, do you have a financial advisor? Maybe you should discuss these questions with your advisor. Do they even know that you're doing a refi? So forth and so on. So, um, you know, even working with people's financial advisors is kind of a center of influence, not only for education, but also maybe a, a prospective pool of new clients that advisors clientele. So uh, I will say that, yeah, I mean, you and I have worked fairly closely on several of our clients' uh, mortgages, and, and not only I think will help the, the new mortgage lenders' education, but also could help them from a marketing standpoint as well. So that's good. You, you, you jump that first hurdle, you've done the processing work for a while, now you're starting to make the calls, you're, you're uh, starting to do some business. Uh, again, the end goal is owning a, your own mortgage company. So what's the next step? Now let's say you've been, you've been closing mortgages and selling mortgages now for, I don't know, a year or something. What's the next step that you would need to do? Are there requirements that you have to do, whether it's educational, licensure, or just experience, to own your own mortgage company? What's, what's the next? The next so the, the next thing is you got to start looking. You, you're familiar with the individual loan officer license from the NMLS. Now you need to click on the company link and see what the company requirements are. Okay. I can tell you that the company requirements, most states require a qualified individual to be um, a managing member of the company. So you're going to start your company like my positive rate mortgage is based in North Carolina. It's an LLC. Um, when I applied for my license in Utah, they asked who's going to be the qualified manager. I'm going to be the qualified manager. When you look at the qualified manager experience requirements, they want three years experience as a branch manager. You must be able to show branch manager experience. So at some point, you're going you're, you're gonna to be clicking along and doing loans, and that's going to be great. But if you want to go to the next level and own your own business, you now, have to, you now have to become a branch manager. How do you do that? Well, you, you have to talk to the company that you're working for and see if they'll assign you a title of a branch manager. A branch manager, can, you can have multiple branch managers of an office, okay. but that's the title that you want to be able to get. That's what you want to update your NMLS system to show you as, as a branch manager and start ticking that clock for three years to have that requisite experience. And it, to be honest with you, it, would, it wouldn't hurt you to get involved on the operational side to understand how it all works. Yeah. I could, I could hire employees if I want. I choose not to. Yeah. Um, but if I did, I, I do have the experience on how to, run, how to create a budget, how to run the budget and you know, get everything done and, um, and be in, in compliance. Yeah. So now once you have, so this is obviously detracting from your sales. Uh, well, it's detracting from your income capability at United because yeah. you're going to have to spend more time 
doing this to get that, you can't do it all. You, you talk about work-life balance. You, you can't fly your full schedule and be a board and, and be a branch manager. You're going to have to take some time off from the United side in order to be able to get that experience. It's kind of like starting out in our industry. You start out as a, an instructor pilot. You're making 25 bucks an hour. And then you, you do that for three years. And then now you can go to a regional. Now at the regional, you're making 40, 50, 60 grand a year. Yeah. And then you go back, then you go up to, you know, captain, and now you can apply for the corporate jet job. So you need all these very low paying jobs in order to get you to where you want to be. Right. You got, it's, it's pretty much the same in any industry. Same with yours. You're going to probably have to work for a company before you can start your own. And you're not going to be able to, your, the commissions you're going to earn are a lot less than what you're getting now because you have the, the people that you work for have to make money too. Sure. And that's the difference between you and them. That's why you want to go with somebody like you because you own the business and you don't yeah. have to earn gigantic commissions to pay for huge operations. Right. A lot of people don't understand that, but that's, that's pretty much the way it is. Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, while the audience for this podcast is definitely United Pilots or other airline pilots trying to do uh, things on the side, uh, one thing this can be useful for are their kids who may be interested trying to figure out what it is, what they want to do during college, after college, if they decide not to go to college for a while or whatever, uh, hopefully this is giving them some idea of what they could be doing as well. Um, Okay, so three years as a branch manager, that makes you qualified now in the eyes of the the NMLS system to uh, allow you to apply for, um, for that. So um, yeah, I don't guess it'd be very useful if you got labeled a branch manager, but it had nothing to do with managing the branch and the operation and people and the process. <laughs> exactly. so, so then you'd go start your own firm and kind of flail about as you did when you first started out in the business. Yep. So, you know, it sounds to me that your biggest challenges have been external, meaning your biggest challenges certainly were the, the companies and people you worked for. Um, the industry, I'm sure itself has changes has changed. Um, licensure started around 05, financial crisis comes out in 08, 09. Um, what has changed in the industry from a regulatory standpoint, uh, lending standpoint, standards, so forth? What do you have to deal with today that, that, that you know, you like? changes in the industry that are trying to hopefully prevent another financial crisis again, another lending crisis, borrowing crisis, if you will. Um, what have been the biggest changes in the industry since the, the financial crisis? Well, they're, they're, the, the changes that I've seen are good, but they're not fun. They're, they're, they're no fun. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the regulatory reporting requirements of owning your own company are, in some states, are patent, they're just ridiculous. Uh, they're dupl- duplications of effort in what the NMLS system does. For example, the NMLS system has what's called the mortgage call report. You fill out information that goes to the mortgage call report to the NMLS system to tell you, hey, this is how many light deals I did this month. This is what the loan amounts were. I did a VA or a conventional uh, subprime, whatever kind of loan that I did. And it, it's data for them to track. But then mm-hmm. the states want it too. Yeah. I'm like, why don't you just get it from the NMLS? I just did this with, with those right. guys. Um, a lot of them have um, the reporting requirements. I, I understand what the reasons are there for. You also want to make sure that mortgage companies aren't 
are paying their taxes, their fair share of taxes. Yeah. There's no way to not pay your fair share of taxes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those laws are good and it, 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 it kicks out the bad apples, helps to kick out the bad apples because of the compliance. Yeah. So I love the compliance. I have a compliance company. They write all my manuals mm-hmm. and update my manuals to keep me in. And then they give me like a briefing every time something changes in a state to make sure that I'm in compliance. Um, so I, I outsource that. I don't do it myself. It would take yep. forever. Uh, we're the same way. Kind of. um, and I, I would say, you know, pre-mortgage meltdown, it was, it was cowboy country. Yeah. No licensing required. Hang your shingle. I'm a mortgage broker. You could charge 2% to one guy, 1% to another, 3% to another. Discrimination all over the place based on what kind of relationship I had with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you have to set your commission at a flat rate. Every, the commission you earn is the same on every single deal, whether it's a $100,000 deal or a million dollar deal. Um, you have to earn the same commission or you could be accused of discrimination. I like that. I, now we've leveled the playing field between all these different rate quotes. And the only reason why my rate might be lower than somebody else's is because they're earning a higher commission. They need to earn a higher commission because they have that structure mm-hmm. of management, yeah. processors, branch managers, big fancy offices, secretaries, and all those other things. Right. And that's, that's one business model. My business model is different. I don't have any of those costs. I don't have to generate high commissions to pay for the costs, which result in lower rates. And that's why I, I do what I do. That's why I, how I can do what I do. And, and that's, if you're going to get in this business, that's what you want to be able to strive for. You may be able to sell higher rate. Lots of mortgage brokers do, but if you want, if, if you want, my business model is no advertising. I, I have a website. Yeah. No, nobody ever calls me and says, you got a fabulous website. Like <laughs> I rarely use it. I don't incorporate it. I'm not a Facebook guy. I'm not on Twitter. Yeah. I'm probably old school from that perspective, but my referral based model has been working for me for 24 years and I've been in this business, yeah. uh, 23 years. So I, it, it, it's, it's, that's mine. That's, that's how I do it. Somebody else might go out and, you know, they may be very technically savvy on the internet and drive business their way that way yeah. and get the customer on the phone and sell them into a deal. You know, they're better than me at that. So yeah. that could be their model. A, a lot of this newer, the, the newer regulations you just talked about, is that mostly at the, at the company level or does the individual licensed individual see that as well? See the new requirements or they just, do they have extra paperwork they're doing now? Extra disclosure requirements that they have as individual licensed um, mortgage originators? Yes, there, there are, it's, it's state specific. Okay. There are more forms to fill out in order to better um, uh, communicate what it is that a customer signing up for. Right. There are more disclosures It you know, the mortgage package before the meltdown was, I don't know, 12 or 15 pages. It's now 60 pages. Yeah. It's way overkill. Yeah. And, but it, there's no way that you can go through all of that paperwork and walk away and say, I have no idea what I was signing, signing up for. Yeah. But people, pre-meltdown, a lot of people were saying that. Sure. No, I understand that. I'll ask one question just kind of uh, for everybody, because we've talked about this recently. 
Um, you kind of mentioned, you know, when should I do this versus that? I think a lot of those decisions are, you know, like you said, financial planning driven decisions for people. But when it comes to a mortgage, uh, a structural, the structural aspect of a mortgage, um, you know, I, I've had a lot of people come to me and ask this question and I've kind of looked at it and, and frankly, I didn't fully understand the ramifications of it or their lack of. If I get a 30 year fixed loan, that's, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars and I've got a little bit of cash flow early on, um, what is wrong with, and that's, I'm asking this question this way intentionally, what is wrong with paying a little more towards the principal early in that loan just to get that principal balance down some so it's not exposed to as much interest at the higher volume of dollars. Um, am I actually doing anything there by paying that down a little bit early, starting early in a loan, and then maybe going off three or four years later and investing that elsewhere? Let's say I have the cash flow, for example. So the, the, what's wrong with that is your, that strategy would be great for a variable rate loan, you're in a fixed rate loan. When you're on a fixed rate loan, you have an amortization schedule. When you have an amortization schedule, it's mostly interest up front and mostly principal on the backside. Right. So when you give them additional funds, you're, they are going to apply that towards payment 360, 359, and so on. And they're gonna say, thank you very much for the loan that you gave us for 30 years because if you look at the amortization schedule and look how much interest is associated with the 360th payment, it's pennies, it's dollars. So, but if you kept the money and you had it compound and grow and right. get larger and invest it and double it, and then maybe even triple it over 30 years, that at that point, then you want to say to yourself, do, when I have enough money, do I want it to pay my mortgage off now? Right. Or, or my mortgage is two, two and a half percent or three percent or three and a quarter. Yeah. It's all tax deductible on the interest side. Net, my net cost to borrow is two and a half or 2.75. Right. As long as I'm earning a greater return in my investment, my money's actually better off investing than it is paying down the debt. As good as, as good as it feels to pay down debt. We all love to pay down debt, but this is financial management. Yep. This is not, um, this is well, about debt. well, what what part? The reason I ask that is because the structural part of that, where you're handing them that extra principal payment, they're applying it not towards just chipping away the principal balance. They're still applying that amortization schedule. They're just taking it, like you said, off the back end. So you're getting very little interest savings by doing that. Um, and that's the structural question I was looking for you to answer, which you did. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, a lot of people, it feels good to not have that mortgage. But when you think about it in the context that you gave me, when we run financial plans for a lot of people, um, you look at a fixed a mortgage payment that's fixed, it's a fixed principal and interest payment over the life of that loan. And when you hit retirement, your healthcare may be going up at 5% a year. As long as your investments are going up in excess of that after-tax rate on your mortgage, you win. Exactly. Yeah because you've got compounded growth on your money. So that, and that's that, that pool of capital with that compounding growth is allowing you to pay that fixed rate mortgage. So excellent. Well, that was a good question for us to end on. I, I appreciate that was more of a structural mortgage question, but um, thanks a lot for your time. I, I really appreciate it. I think um, anybody that's interested in getting into the mortgage industry probably learned a whole lot more than they ever thought they would. So I, I picked the right guy for this conversation. 
Good. Thank you for the opportunity. I would encourage anybody that wants to get into it to give me a call. I'm more than happy to chat with you and share my good, my good uh, will that I've had from this business and, and pass it along to the next group because I won't be doing this forever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity and thank you to all my fellow United brethren and sister in on, uh, on being able to help them through, throughout the, the decades of uh, the loans that we've all done together. Yeah, great. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you uh, don't get called. You can uh, get back home to your family. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Take care, Alan. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.